Now, the one who protects us all from prattling prognosticators and perfidious pundits. I say, America, stay out the bushes. Look for the Union Naval. That's to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. From my cold, dead hands. I'm concerned that if we don't impeach this president, he will get reelected. It's time for the Alan Nathan Show. Here he is, the longest-running nationally syndicated centrist host in the country, Alan Nathan. Welcome, one and all, to the Alan Nathan Show, where we want the Republicans out of our bedrooms, the Democrats out of our wallets, and both out of our First and Second Amendment rights. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan while he's on assignment today. CNN is going to have a presidential town hall next week, and you'll never guess who it's going to star. Donald Trump, the former president of the United States and a declared candidate for the 2024 presidential election. But wait, CNN's been telling us for years that Donald Trump is a menace to the very concept of democracy. He's an insurrection leader. He's he's the worst thing that ever happened to the cause of democracy. Why would they have a town hall and invite Donald Trump? You know what? This guy is supposed to be the most dangerous thing in the world. And on the other hand, uh, President Trump has been telling us, former President Trump, ever since uh, he was the president, that CNN is one of the worst media outlets out there. They're nothing but fake news and he wouldn't have anything to do with them. So why is he going to go on a CNN town hall? And why would President Trump risk going on this town hall where, you know, darn well, the uh, audience is going to be, uh, shall we say, arranged to be unpleasant to him by CNN? This is going to be tough. Uh, and CNN is nothings in, in the ratings department. They're nowheresville. CNN gets nobody as viewers. So why would he, uh, he appeal to CNN's meager audience and take the risk of going in this hostile format that is going to be pretty much tailor-made to elicit unpleasant comments from him. They're going to try to provoke him into saying things that they can run with. Well, those are a lot of questions to unpack. And if you go in reverse order, then you can see that Trump might benefit from going on CNN because that will rebuild the reputation that he gained in 2016. One of the reasons he did so incredibly well in the 2016 presidential primary, and and remember, when this was happening in 16, and he just came in there and just swam right through the Republican presidential field and seized the front-runner spot, which early on, most of the wise men of of politics said was impossible. There's no way he's going to win. He's a joke. And he just goes in there and takes over and becomes the candidate. And one of the reasons he did so incredibly well in 2016 was because he was pugnacious because he would come in and do interviews and talk to anybody, and he gave no impression of being uh, evasive, I guess is the right word for it. See, people, when you say that, people who are critical of Donald Trump will say, of course he's evasive, he he lies, he makes stuff up, and so does Joe Biden, and so on and so on. I mean, yeah, they, they, they all lie. But the thing about Trump that's different is that he doesn't act like he's squirming away from talking about stuff. He just goes in there, especially in 16, during his big debut on the presidential stage and he just dives right in there and he'll take over the stage there's 12 other people on the stage and he, he's the only one there as far as he's concerned and he'll just take over that is one of the reasons he did so incredibly well and here if he's going to go on the cnn town hall which is going to be more or less the first big media event of the 2024 
campaign. He's going to be part of it here. He's going to do the same kind of outsized performance. He's going to walk into the lion's den. Uh, he will get a great deal of credit, assuming that he doesn't completely implode, and, and he probably won't. I'm sure he doesn't intend to. So assuming he does reasonably well against a hostile town hall audience, he's going to come out of it with his reputation as being a brawler and a guy who will just put up against the media and anybody else and talk to anybody is going to be restored. So there, there's a good reason for President Trump to be doing this. Now, CNN would, on the one hand, be doing this to get ratings because Trump is not only a declared candidate, he is, according to most polls, the front runner at the moment. And it's very early in the presidential race, so that doesn't necessarily mean the outcome is secured. But if you look at most of the polls, he's a few points ahead of the pack. And the only one who's really close to him as a competitor right now would be Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is not a declared candidate. So he's not in the race yet. So if you take DeSantis out of these polls, and he's in all of them because everyone assumes he's going to run, and he probably will. But if you take DeSantis out of the mix because he's not running officially yet, then nobody else is within striking distance of Donald Trump. So CNN might want to have him on as a ratings grabber because he is the leading candidate in the Republican primary. And then you get into the conspiracy theorizing and political strategizing, and you have people who will say, well, the reason CNN has suddenly changed its mind and decided that Donald Trump is no longer the insurrectiony threat to overthrow America that he was, we've been telling you he was for the past three years, and now we're going to have him on a town hall, is because they don't want DeSantis to win. They want Trump. The, the conventional wisdom is that the Democratic Party thinks Trump would be easiest to beat of all the potential candidates that might be running against Joe Biden for re-election, and they really want him, because particularly if Biden is the candidate, they think Trump is the one they have the best chance of beating. That's your conspiracy theorist. And to that, your devoted follower of former President Trump will shoot back and say, well, they got a big surprise coming because Trump's going to beat Biden like a drum. And here's these polls that show him already within striking distance. He's one or two points down against Biden in the polls, and then he really isn't running yet. And the counter argument to that, if we want to keep playing tennis with these political talking points, points is that given what an absolute disaster Joe Biden is, it's not good if the leading candidate running against him is still down a point or two. You should be 10 points over the guy who brought America to its knees through inflation and made us into a laughing stock around the world, and he can't walk down a flight of stairs without falling down, and you should be doing better than that against Joe Biden. So that's all pretty typical talk for this early in a presidential primary. The people are going to have their arguments, and right now this is all pretty theoretical. You know, Most of the electorate does not plug into a presidential campaign until pretty late in the game. And there's a pretty sizable number of independent voters who don't really pay all that much attention to the primaries. So they're really not going to tune in until the candidates have been definitively selected and they're slugging it out with each other. And that's when they're all going to get in the game. And that's when the polls are going to start bouncing around. And the person who was 10 points ahead last week is suddenly four points behind. But even amongst the party faithful, the people who are interested in the primaries and are careful watchers at this stage, it's still really, really early, and it's probably not a bad idea if you're Trump, who was the first candidate to declare on the Republican side. He got there first. A few other people have done so since then, but, but he was first out of the gate. So he's going to want to be first to jump into a town hall and put on a public presentation. And that's going to bring us back around to this whole issue of whether or not he's even a legitimate candidate. Because, you know, a lot of people on the left, on the Democrat side, say he shouldn't be. 
because he was an insurrectionist, because he led the January 6th terror that surrounded the Capitol, and because he questioned the legitimacy of the 2020 election, that he must not be allowed to run. And that's pretty much literally what a great deal of the left and a good deal of the left-wing media has been saying in unison ever since 2020. So it's going to be fun to watch them suddenly spin on a dime, as CNN has done, and say, you know what, uh, we've changed our minds, and we're going to give him a platform, and we're going to welcome him in, almost entirely because they think he's the guy who's most likely to lose against a Democratic candidate in the upcoming election. So a lot of maneuvering going on here, a lot of uh, people uh, with vested interests pulling on one side or the other. And this battle between Trump and DeSantis is pretty ugly if you follow this online. I guess if you don't really follow this online, you might not have heard very much of it because it isn't a huge uh, public media event just yet. You just get whispers of it. But if you follow this stuff online, you can see that the Trump campaign and the DeSantis people have been going at each other pretty hard over the past couple of months. Trump clearly seems to think DeSantis is his primary adversary for the Republican nomination, and he's acting early to try to blow him out of the water, which, by the way, that strategy of the early preemptive strike to throw everything in the world at your opponent and discredit them before the race really begins, that is a strategy that worked very well for Barack Obama. That was a big part of how he got reelected in 2012. Back when that race got started, Obama targeted his opponent, Mitt Romney, who went on to win the Republican election. Once it was looking like Romney was probably going to be the candidate, Obama just nuked him. You know, before he really had a chance to even get started, he sent out his his people, his hatchet people, his media, which, you know, the whole media slavishly served the Obama campaign. So it was no problem. He just had to make a couple phone calls, shoot off a couple emails, and off they went. And they bombarded Mitt Romney with every savage attack they could think of. And if you were watching this, then you might remember how Romney gets the nomination. And there's, there are rules in place that say that before you have the nomination, there are some campaign activities you can't uh, engage in. So there's this kind of blackout period for a couple of weeks when you're wrapping things up where you're wide open and a, an aggressive incumbent can just drop bombs on you. And there's nothing you can do really to respond other than to go to the media and say, hey, that attack on me was unfair. And Romney wasn't very good at doing that and the media wasn't interested in letting him do it. So it was open season on the Mitster during the uh, last days. That is pretty much the early destruction campaign that you see Trump using against DeSantis. It may or may not work. We'll see. You know, it's too early yet. But we're kind of in that same weird moment, the same twilight at the beginning of the dawn of a political campaign where there's not much DeSantis can do to respond to the attacks other than send out spokespeople and go to the media and so on. And Trump is hitting him pretty hard before he actually gets in the race. It will be interesting to see how it plays out. But as of right now, the media has decided that Donald Trump is a legitimate presidential candidate again. Yay. I'm John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor for Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan today. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. Spring is here. Time to get out of the gym and take your workout outdoors. Whether you're walking, running, swimming, or biking, it's important to have a proper warm-up routine to prevent injuries. Five-time Ironman Triathlon World Champion Craig Crowey-Alexander has some advice. Sprains, strains, and injuries can happen to any athlete. Even a minor injury can affect your performance and derail your fitness routine. One of the best ways to try and prevent injuries is to make sure you prepare properly. 
Alexander recommends always starting with a 10 to 15 minute dynamic warm-up. Activation exercises combined with some dynamic movements like lunges are great for warming up. Focus on one specific movement at a time until you feel ready to go. Be sure to listen to your body and use proper support gear when needed to protect yourself and prevent injury. The Curad Performance Series Ironman lineup includes rugged supports, wraps, kinesiology tape, bandages, and analgesics to support you on your fitness journey. For more, go to curad.com. This is sponsored by IBM. Job seekers, students, and career changers want to pursue roles in science, technology, engineering, and math but aren't familiar with career options. At the same time, online training and digital credentials are emerging as a recognized pathway to opportunity. Misconceptions about the cost of training and what's required are often roadblocks to success. To tackle this and bring STEM education closer to underrepresented communities, IBM SkillsBuild is announcing 45 new educational partners. IBM SkillsBuild is a free education program focused on underrepresented communities in tech, helping all develop valuable new skills and access to career opportunities. Justina Nixon St. Till, IBM Chief Impact Officer. Technology training can have a transformational effect on a person's life. IBM is committed to raising awareness of the many roles that exist across industries in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. IBM Skills Build continues to grow with new partners around the world, working together to scale 30 million people by 2030. For more, skillsbuild.org. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Jason Derulo. I love that music connects to people all over the country. But unfortunately, so does something else. Childhood hunger. 15 million kids struggle with hunger right here in America. And yet, every year, billions of pounds of surplus food in the U.S. go to waste instead of going to the children in need. Feeding America is working to change this. The Feeding America nationwide network of food banks rescues this surplus of food to help provide meals to families in virtually every community in the United States including yours, but they just can't do this alone. Join me in the fight against hunger in America. For more information on what you can do to get involved, visit feedingamerica.org. That's feedingamerica.org. Together we can solve hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. What is dedication? I am the father of a nine-year-old little girl and a six-year-old little boy. And I find fatherhood both relentlessly challenging and relentlessly rewarding. My daughter is biological and my son is adopted. I love them both so much. From the morning when you wake up to putting them to bed at night, And every moment in between, it really is so special. And boy, is it exhausting. One thing that I fear about being a parent is the future for my children. I think a parent's job is to protect our children, but also prepare them for the world so they become good, kind human beings. But I'm also hopeful that the future holds a more inclusive and compassionate world for them. That's dedication. Find out more at fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward. 
Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. The border crisis continues to bubble under President Biden. The administration claims everything's under control down there. No one who spends 20 seconds studying the border would be likely to agree with that decision. And one of the big problems is that the administration is actively making things worse by undermining the laws that are already in place to prevent the border crisis from getting more serious. Here with us to talk about it is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Glad to be here. So we have all sorts of laws that are supposed to be securing the border. They're obviously not working because we're getting a tidal wave of illegal immigration across it, and everyone thinks it's about to get much worse as some of the pandemic-era restrictions come to a close. But the Biden administration says everything down there is going just fine. And in fact, you have an article that you've written about this that says the Biden administration is basically telling illegal aliens, don't break the law, we'll do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, because the administration sees the problem at the border, not that there are lots of people coming across in violation of the law and being let go into the country. The problem the administration sees is that it's chaotic and disorderly and it creates bad press for the administration. So their solution is to try to make it, quote, legal, unquote, to let all these illegal aliens into the United States. And so uh, the, the point of my uh, headline, you know, don't break the law, we'll do it for you, is that what they're trying to get these wannabe illegal aliens to do is register uh, with, uh, uh, with the government in what's basically like the open table restaurant reservation app, it's called CBP-1, so that they come in through the legal crossing points legally, they enter legally, ostensibly legally, and then they're let go by the administration. So the so it's Biden who's breaking the law rather than the illegal alien jumping the border. But he's still an illegal alien because the government has no right to be letting these people into the country and letting them go. So, uh, you know, the point is illegal immigration is continuing. The administration wants it to basically disappear from news photo- photography. That's kind of their goal. It's a PR scam, not an immigration control measure. That seems to be something of a running thread in uh, Democratic Party governance at the moment. The way you fight crime is legalize it. Once you make it legal, it's not a crime anymore. Problem solved. That that seems like what they do everywhere, (laughs) and they're doing it on the border. Absolutely, they're doing it on the border. And, you know, this administration, since uh, January 20th of 2021, so it's a little more than two two years, they have let go. I mean, taken into custody and then let go more than 2 million illegal aliens. That means that illegal immigration is now the primary means of coming to the United States because that's more people than we admitted as legal immigrants over that same period of time. There's always been a lot of illegal immigration. It sort of depends on the administration. It comes and goes. What is new, though, is that illegal immigration under the Biden administration is the main way of coming to the United States. Uh, And that's unprecedented and it's completely 
uh, in violation of the immigration law and the whole concept of Congress controlling the number of people come into the country. And I noticed the administration is not happy about talking about where they're all going. When you try to find out what's being done with all the illegals and where they're going, they treat that like a closely guarded state secret, like akin to the nuclear launch codes. You can't find out where any of them are going. But when a couple of recalcitrant governors decide to ship illegal aliens to a blue state to make a point, that's the biggest news story in the world. That That's something that gets dissected and destroyed and criticized. But the Biden administration ships them all over the country and they won't even tell you where they're going. And that's just fine as far as the media is concerned. Well, because you can't handle the truth. You know, that's what it amounts to. I mean, this administration, with I don't know what their practice is in other areas of government, because I focus on this one, but they are amazingly non-transparent. In other words, under the Trump administration, the Immigration Service was putting all kinds of data just on their website, just posting it, publishing it regularly. This crowd is routinely hiding information. You have to file uh, Freedom of Information Act requests, which we do a lot of, which they then ignore. Then you have to sue them in order to get the information. Often you end up getting it, but it takes months or years to get it. And this is basic information that the public should be able to have access to. But these guys don't want you to know it. Because they figure, you know, because they just don't trust that uh, what people will do with it, which is to say, draw the right conclusions that this administration is behaving irresponsibly and illegally with regard to immigration. And are you uh, getting in line behind major media organizations when you file those Freedom of Information Act requests <laughs> because they're they're desperately trying to tell their audiences what's really going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No question that the <laughs> legacy media is all over this story like a cheap suit. The answer is no. Their whole goal is to make sure that they don't embarrass the administration too much. Now, this story is too big for them to ignore altogether. So some of them occasionally will, in fact, write about it. But even then, they'll, uh, you know, they'll either not ask the right questions or, I mean, the New York Times uh, a couple weeks ago did this story about saying that Biden was, you know, increasing legal immigration more than anyone else. It's like, no, he isn't. He's illegally letting these people into the country. He has no right, no legal authority to do this. So even when they cover the story, often they do it in a way that's White House friendly. And it's so easy to, to blunt those edges by just not telling people things. But every now and again, you have an event, as you say, they can't ignore. We just had a mass killing perpetrated by an illegal alien. And you'll notice how quickly that disappeared from the news compared to the, the mass shootings that the media prefers to dote on. But that was a fairly egregious example of the law not being followed and innocent people being killed as a direct result of it. Yeah, the alleged murderer had been deported, I think, four times and maybe five. And he had um, never been prosecuted and sent to jail for coming back into the country after being deported. Because if, you, if you've been formally deported, you go through the whole process uh, and get deported and you leave. If you come back, literally your standing on the sidewalk in the United States is a felony. Well, why wasn't this guy jailed for his felony before they deported him again? No, they just kept doing it over and over again. And uh, eventually, uh, this is what happened. Um, it's, you know, it's not that every illegal alien is a criminal. It's that criminal 
is that stopping illegal immigration keeps out illegal alien criminals, however many or few of them they are. None of them should be here. And every crime they commit, whether it's lots of crimes or a few crimes, every crime an illegal immigrant commits is at least partly partly the government's fault. I call me crazy, but I have a feeling that someone who's been deported four times and keeps coming back is probably not going to be scrupulous about obeying gun control laws either. Oh, yeah. Well, an illegal immigrant is barred by federal law from having a gun anyway. So, I mean, that's just cut and dry. Yeah, which is really kind of the point of the absurdity of all this, the mountain of laws that are being piled on yep. the rest of us, and yet they're just waved aside for politically favored constituencies all the time. Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies, thank you very much for joining us today. I'm John Hayward, your guest host, sitting in for Alan. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. From NAACP Image Award-nominated author Elise Bryant comes a new rom-com about two teens who overcome misconnections and find their way to love. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling follows two people who seemingly have nothing in common, but after a year of chance encounters, begin to think the universe may be telling them something. Dungeons and Dragons-obsessed Reggie and emotionally bottled-up Delilah meet for the first time on New Year's Eve and again on Valentine's Day and on random occasions throughout the year. They're drawn to each other, though they are each too insecure to be their true selves. So what happens once they realize they've each fallen for a version of the other that doesn't really exist? Author Elise Bryant. This is a sweet and funny romantic story in which the characters learn to overcome their fears and discover who they truly are. I hope readers enjoy going along on this ride with Reggie and Delilah and maybe learn something about themselves along the way. Reggie and Delilah's Year of Falling is now available wherever books are sold. Spring is here, and there's no better time to try something new. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar and enjoy real Coke taste and zero sugar. Now available at participating Burger King restaurants. Try Coke Zero Sugar with your favorite food from Burger King. Satisfy your hunger and enjoy Coke Zero Sugar with a piping hot breakfast sandwich, like a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant sandwich. Sizzling sausage, fluffy eggs, and melted American cheese on a toasted croissant makes for a delicious breakfast to start your morning right. And don't forget the crispy hash browns. Or if the flame-grilled Whopper sandwich, BK Royal crispy chicken sandwich, or chicken fries are your fave, you are in luck. All Burger King menu items pair perfectly with an ice-cold Coke Zero Sugar. It's the perfect no-sugar sparkling beverage that goes great with everything. Take a taste of Coke Zero Sugar to enjoy spring your way at Burger King, where you rule. At participating U.S. Burger King restaurants, sponsored by Coca-Cola. You know that feeling? Like every door is closing and you just can't see a way out? Being unemployed, underemployed, or just out of school feels a lot like that. But when you find the right tools... Suddenly, everything just clicks. Getting on that path may be easier than you think. A good place to start? Go to findsomethingnew.org. At findsomethingnew.org, you have access to resources that help develop new skills. Skills that will position you for careers in today's growing industries. From healthcare and manufacturing to cybersecurity and alternative energy. Plus, you can take advantage of online courses, certification programs, apprenticeships, and more. So you can take yourself from unemployed and uncertain to empowered and prepared for what's next. Find your path to a new career today. Visit findsomethingnew.org. 
A message from the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I was in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when it happened. There was a sudden jolt and our submarine crashed on the seafloor. We were in total darkness. That's Dr. Dejana Figueroa, a marine biologist and STEM teacher, talking about a deep sea dive she'll never forget. It's funny. When I was a kid, I was afraid of the ocean. And there I was, two miles below the surface. But as a scientist, you prepare for that. Using our training and a little creativity, we fixed the sub and finished our experiments. The dive was just too important. Every dive gives us glimpses at things few people ever get to see. Glowing creatures, fiery undersea volcanoes. When we got back to the surface, I kissed the ground and called my mom, of course. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that dive for anything. Dr. Figueroa uses her passion for STEM to discover new things and make the world a better place. She can STEM, so can you. Check out She Can STEM for more stories and inspiration. A message from the Ad Council. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor at Breitbart News. The Heartland Institute has a new report out that says ESG, the environmental, social, and governance policies imposed on private industries by the federal government, has become one of the gravest threats facing the free societies of the world today. That is a bold statement but the Institute has the research to back it up. Here with us to talk about the report is Chris Talgo, Senior Editor and Research Fellow for the Stopping Socialism Project at the Heartland Institute. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Thanks, great to be here. So I'm reading this report, and right away this phrase jumps out at me, you know, in what words of fire leaping off the page. ESG is a social credit scoring system for ideologically aligned elites. Well, I've heard that phrase before, and it sounded better in the original Chinese. That's exactly what China does to keep its businesses in line and its people. They have a social credit system. And if you don't do what the government wants you to do, the political commissars of the Chinese Communist Party, then they dink a couple of points off your social credit score. And one day you can't get a loan. You can't get on a bus. You can't buy a plane ticket. That's that's exactly what this is. It's just being used in the United States instead of China. That's exactly what it is. And at the individual level, like you just described, yeah, if you uh, try to buy a gun or if you uh, you know have uh, too much of a carbon footprint, uh, your your ESG score, your social credit score would go down, which would mean that you would have uh, less access to financial services, whether that's <clears throat> a loan, whether that's a line of credit, or whether that's even uh, insurance policies in some situations. So this is actually a, a you know it, it, it's a it's a very big threat because at the individual level it can do that, but then also at the corporate level. 
uh, if you're a corporation, let's say, who engages in a industry that <clears throat> that the ESG uh, architects are not, uh, you know, in in love with, that means that your company is also going to uh, feel the wrath. Whether that means uh, less access to capital or um, other, uh, you know, other financial vehicles that you will not have access to. It might be too much to say this is completely unprecedented, but I don't remember a time before this in the decades of my life where it was so obvious that the government was imposing ideological policies on private industry in this way and doing it in a, a very quantifiable way. If you toe the line, if you follow our ideology, if you do what the, the, the ruling party wants you to do, you're going to get a couple of extra points on the score and maybe you'll be able to get a loan you wouldn't otherwise be able to get or you'll be eligible for government business. That This is something I don't remember being done on this sweeping scale before and with very little attention, certainly negative attention, from the media. Well, you're right. Uh, you know, the United States was founded upon uh, shareholder, shareholder capitalism, which means that corporations, by and large, are supposed to provide goods and services that their customers want at the best possible price at the highest quality. And what, uh, what ESG does is that uh, completely upends that. And what they're pushing is what they call stakeholder capitalism. So what they want these major corporations, whether it's Disney, Coca-Cola, or you know GM or who, whatever, they want them to to uh, have other priorities. And those other priorities, a lot of times, are going to be environmental, going to be social, whether that's supporting Black Lives Matter or transgender movement, and also uh, what they call corporate governance. And that means that. If these businesses do not have the proper ratio of employees, whether that's you know minorities or at the board level itself, then they're going to be penalized. And what we saw with SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, was they they were uh, on the ESG bandwagon, and look what happened to them. They completely uh, were unable to uh, to to perform proper risk assessment because they were more concerned with making sure that they were checking all the ESG boxes. And that's just one example. But what we're seeing is that this is happening across the corporate landscape and huge, huge financial institutions like BlackRock, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan Chase are on the ESG bandwagon and they're using their capital. And we're talking trillions and trillions of dollars, 16 trillion by some estimates to move the market in the way that they want. They're doing that by doing an end run around the, you know, they're not passing laws to do it. They're using their financial power to do it. And that is such a paradigm shift from the 20th century understanding of the role of government, because we always had laws that corporations had to obey. And if we had a law like, you know, pollution standards, let's say, that was debated and ratified through Congress and a company violates them, they get punished. That's that's what government does. But here you've got this nefarious, scurrilous, pervasive program that spread like a cancer throughout the entire government and its interaction with businesses. And it's not merely punishing people for violating clearly debated and voted on laws. It's making them follow an ideology and giving them concrete, tangible punishments if they fail to follow the ideology. That's exactly what's happening. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen some pushback in Florida just this morning. Ron, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, passed a pretty sweeping uh, bill that is uh, targeting these ESG uh, uh the people at the uh, at the state level, but what you know, what we really need is we need more states to push back, and eventually it would uh, really behoove the nation if we had a, a national solution to this problem.
what would a national solution look like? Would we be talking about regulations that prevent this kind of social credit system from ever being used? It seems like a hard thing to legislate against. Well, so actually, uh, in the Trump administration, uh, we had something called the Fair Access Law. And what the Fair Access Law did, or uh, Fair Access Rule, I should say, is it said that uh, all corporations have to have the best interest of their shareholders at stake. And what the, uh, what the Biden administration did was they uh, eliminated the Fair Access Rule, which, which allows these corporations to take these esoteric uh, uh, things into account that do not impact the bottom line. And in many ways, they actually hurt the bottom line. So yes, there are some national things that we can do. There are many state level things we can do. But I think what really needs to happen is that we need to have we the people push back against this. Because if we the people push back against this, it doesn't matter who's in charge. It also doesn't matter who's in charge of the banks or these other major financial institutions, because they eventually are gonna have to uh, you know, be held accountable by we the people. Well, should we, the people, be worried about this ESG model being applied to us personally? We've talked about how that's a big difference so far in the way China does it. The China goes after individuals and you have a social credit score and, and it could go bad and you could be in trouble. This is mostly a corporate control tool up until now, but there's no reason to believe that this wouldn't eventually be atomized down to the individual level. And you might personally, I guess there, there might really be examples of this already, that you suddenly can't get a loan, you can't process business transactions because you ran afoul of the ideology any many instances of this and i can just tell you from my my personal um perspective i do uh, have an account at bank of america and a couple of years ago i started getting reports about my investments were not uh high on the esg scale and i was actually being nudged by bank of america to change my investments from you know uh, stock index funds to corporations and companies that are more aligned with the ESG uh, movement. So yes, it definitely is occurring on the individual scale. But one of the, uh, one of the things that uh, differentiates us between the uh, United States and China is yes, China, the CCP just does this you know, uh, on its own. But what the government's doing now is using the big banks to do their uh, bidding for them. And you know, I think that a lot of this also goes back to 2008, 2009, when we had this great consolidation of the big banks and we're just seeing that happen more and more and more. We just saw First Republic get gobbled up by JP Morgan Chase. So when that happens and you only have four or five humongous banks, that gives them a lot more power and it makes the people a lot more dependent upon them. Well, I know it's a loaded word to introduce to any conversation like this, but there is a name for the political system under which a ruling party controls privately owned capital by imposing political requirements on them. And the name of that system is fascism. And that seems That's like it. what we're really dipping our toes in. I think we're up to our knees now in, in fascism here. Yeah, I could not agree more because, you know, a lot of uh, the uh, fascistic models in the, you know, Europe in the 1930s, it was the government and big business colluding together. And what we're seeing now more and more is that is that is happening in the United States. And that is not a good road to go down. You do not want to have big business and big, big government on the same side. One of the things that, you know, makes the United States uh, so great is that there there was sort of a uh, competition between business and government. And that's the way it should be. They should not be on the same side. To some degree, they should be antithetical to each other.
If you read Chinese media, they give us a good deal of ribbing there for imperfectly trying to ape their perfect system. And they say their approach to all this is vastly better because you have ruling party officials and duly constituted government boards, and they put out thousands of pages of reports to tell you what you're required to believe and required to do. And over here, it's all done in the shadows behind the scenes, and most people don't know. And it's these corporate bosses colluding with party members instead of doing things above board. They're basically laughing at us and telling us we're trying to use uh, you know, duct tape and spit to hold together a social credit system, whereas theirs is precisely scientifically designed and implemented, and we should do it the way they do. That is such a good point. And, you know, a lot of people in the United States, a lot of people on the left side of the United States, uh, they envy China because China does have the, uh, the ability to, to just make these things happen in the blink of an eye. And one of the things that the United States that makes us so much better than China is that we're a democracy. We're a constitutional republic. These things should not happen overnight. They should you know, be voted on by our lawmakers. And the challenge of the coming century is for us to prove to the rest of the world that our way of doing things is better, not imitate their way of doing things. Chris Talgo, Senior Editor and Research Fellow for the Stopping Socialism Project of the Heartland Institute, thanks for joining us. We'll be right back with more of The Alan Nathan Show. The pandemic is just one factor that forced companies to rethink the way they conduct business. In addition to remote employees, companies are uploading more data to the cloud and workers are using a wide variety of apps and devices. As a result, businesses are more susceptible to security breaches than ever before. For 10 years, the open directory platform provider JumpCloud has helped businesses improve security and minimize vulnerability. Security continues to be a top concern for businesses. According to JumpCloud Vice President Eric Brown, organizations need to reconsider their approach. Identity is the new center of IT and the foundation around which all IT infrastructure should be built. That's where we at JumpCloud come in. We help companies and people make work happen with secure, frictionless access to the apps and data they need with an open directory platform designed for identity transformation. To learn how JumpCloud can help your business, visit JumpCloud.com. Vitamin B12 is important for supporting not only our metabolism, but also our energy levels. Our brain and our nerves need certain vitamins like B12 in order to function properly. Even if you're eating all the healthy foods like fruits and vegetables and getting you know great sources of protein, it's sometimes the case that you can become deficient in one or more nutrient, and that's where supplements can be helpful. So if you wanna support your B12 levels, Jaro's Methyl B12 is a great supplement to consider to optimize your B12 levels. This type of B12 is recognized by the body, so it's delivered to your cells more efficiently. It's also been shown that it is a great way to make sure that you're getting a highly absorbed form of vitamin B12 and one that's gonna be retained better than other types of B12. You can learn more at jaro.com. My name is Judy Teeter, and I'm the mother of three boys. My youngest, Joe, was a great kid. He loved sports, music, and his youth group. One day, Joe asked me to drive him to an after-school event, which was about a mile from our home. I was driving through a green light when a car in cross-traffic ran a red light and drove right into the side of our car, killing Joe. The driver was talking on her phone, so she never even saw the red light. She was so absorbed in her phone call. Before the crash, I didn't realize just talking on a cell phone while driving was so dangerous. Now it's something I think about every day. 
According to the National Safety Council, about one in four car crashes involves a cell phone. Hands-free is no safer. When you're behind the wheel, put away your phone. For Joe and for the thousands of needless deaths every year, remember, there is no safe way to talk on a cell phone while driving. Find out more at nsc.org slash callskill. If you came across someone struggling with hunger, how would you recognize them? By their clothes? Their age? The way they speak? Would you notice a 16-year-old boy who got got his first job, not for extra spending money, but to help feed his little sisters? Or a mother who's in between jobs and sometimes goes to bed hungry so her kids can have dinner? Or a 14-year-old girl who signs up to every after-school activity not to make friends, but just to get something to eat? Or a retiree who fell ill and had to choose between getting medicine or groceries? I am the one in eight Americans who struggle with hunger. People you pass by every day but never knew were hungry. I am hunger in America. Hunger can be hard to recognize. Learn why at IamHungerInAmerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America, 200 Food Bank Strong, and the Ad Council. The mission of Paralyzed Veterans of America is clear. Accessibility. Veterans who have served and sacrificed the best of themselves deserve access to the best our country has to offer. Access to meaningful employment. Access to the veterans' benefits they've earned. Accessible homes and vehicles. And access to every part of their communities. With PVA staff working inside VA hospitals, no other veterans organization has provided more real-time Ongoing support for paralyzed veterans and their families. PVA is proud to serve veterans across all branches, all generations, and all conflicts. Our nation's heroes fought for your independence. Join PVA in fighting for theirs at pva.org. Welcome back to the Alan Nathan Show. I'm your guest host today, John Hayward, Deputy National Security Editor of Breitbart News, sitting in for Alan. You can find my work at Breitbart.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DOC underscore zero. We were just talking about how ESG policies are uncomfortably reminiscent of China's social credit system for controlling its people. The Chinese government is also very big on suppressing the Internet activity of political dissidents, and we've got that over here, too. Here with us to talk about it is Joseph Vasquez, assistant editor of the Media Research Center's Free Speech America and MRC Business. The Media Research Center says that its search results for it have been deprioritized by Google. So your activity is being suppressed just the way they do it in China. Welcome to the Alan Nathan Show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. This is a pretty severe charge and not a new one. A lot mm. of dissident political groups, uh, websites, publications have discovered that when they search for themselves on Google, especially, then they get mm. mysterious results. They don't show up, you know, and, and they should be. And it looks like search engine results are being tinkered with. And you have a case of that for the MRC uh, Free Speech America Center. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like, you know, the difference is, is like with our search, with our research, is that we wanted to eliminate any possibility of bias because you know when you, when you search on Google, it, the results that you get is determined based on your cookies and your search history, and that influences the results that you get. But what we did at the MRC is that we created our own algorithm so we can search Google in a clean environment, uninfluenced by cookies or any kind of search history. 
And what we did, we, we searched for our website, and what we ended up getting was a notice. There was a, there was a few of our sister websites, and then our main webpage was buried a little bit. This was the result that came up. This is what Google said to caricature the results. The results below match your search terms, but some of them may not have reliable information on this topic, end quote. This happened right after the MRC exposed Google for tampering with search results during the 2022 midterm elections. We found that in 12 of the hotly contested Senate races that Google was elevating the, Demo- uh, the, the campaigns of Democratic candidates in hotly contested Senate races while, while deprioritizing their GOP opponents' websites. And that, that made national news, and Google responded to the study and then tried to denigrate, denigrate the MRC. And then not too long after, so we've been doing these kinds of studies on its for a while now. And then now just after, now we're seeing that when we searched, when we did our own search for ourselves in a clean environment, now Google is telling people, telling users in a clean environment that, that our sites don't have reliable information. It may, we may not have reliable information. So they caricature the results before people can even click into the website. <laughs> so, yeah, that doesn't so seem like a very a level message. playing field. No, it does not. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I'm this guessing uh, you probably don't get that warning if you search for, say, CNN, which has been caught disseminating false information on numerous occasions. It's just you guys that get that kind of a warning <laughs> when they search for you. Well, it's well, it's funny that you mentioned that because we compared um, results for MRC Free Speech America to other left-wing sites like BuzzFeed, which was notorious for publishing the notorious Heels dossier, um, Mother Jones and Jacobin, a socialist magazine, all of which, you know, have presented unreliable information on their sites, but there was no warnings attached to their, you know, to the results. We searched for the same websites in the same clean environment, but Google didn't provide any warning. But when we searched for our webpage, yeah, be careful. Some information on, you know, provided by these results may not have reliable information. Yeah. Okay, Google, we see you. <laughs> I, I can remember uh, really as far back as the 2012 election cycle, there were some uh, visionary uh, types with internet knowledge that were saying this was coming, that this was going to be the big new thumb on the political scales, would be the big tech companies, the search engine giants, and they would begin tinkering with search results to suppress things they don't like and to do what they've done to you, which is put up warnings. And, and we saw more and more of that happening uh, over the years. I can remember during uh, 2016, after President Trump won the election, the news organizations were constantly throwing up Chiron messages that were snarky and that that said he was lying or that you know he was misleading you or something. And they would never mm. dream of doing that to say Joe Biden, even when he lies through his teeth. <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that he's not telling the truth, and they won't tell you that. And and if you push them on this, they'll say we're just trying to help fight disinformation. But it certainly seems like that fight is not being waged impartially. No, absolutely not. We know the left has a monopoly on media. They, they you know they are heavily influential in Silicon Valley, Google notwithstanding, and be even more terrified, John. Be even more terrified with the explosion of this new artificial intelligence technology. I mean, ChatGPT, just as one example, a study came out in a, in a political science journal that determined that ChatGPT was undeniably leftist based on research questions that were posed to it. It answered on the side of the left-wing narrative every single uh, um, time, save one instance. It, get, it posed, I think, 15 research questions. Um, and multiple choice questions, and ChatGPT answered as a leftist every single time. So what we so we see that happening now. Google has its own variant of art of ChatGPT called Bard. How is this information or how is this technology going to be wielded against political opponents? Because as we're showing at the MRC, Google doesn't have any problem going after its political opponents. So how would this explosion of new artificial intelligence technology 
be used against people with disagreeable views. It's terrifying. It's, a, it's, it's 1984 on steroids. And really, what recourse do you have if you're on the wrong end of this? In your case, you're, you're pointing this out. You've done research. You've proven it. But what can you do to, to get this removed? How could you go to Google and say, hey, guys, this isn't fair? It doesn't seem like you can convince them to change their minds. You just have to kind of go to war with them. Well, that's, well, that's kind of the point, because Google controls over 90 percent of the search engine market. So how do you deal with it? It's like telling people don't buy. It's, it's like, you know, let's boycott Amazon. Are people really going to stop buying from Amazon? Tell people to start searching on Google. Are they really going to stop searching on Google? That's the philosophy that keeps them from ever changing anything. So, well, we dominate the market anyway. We can do whatever the heck we want. So the point is, you know, the way the American people can stand up against this is exactly what the MRC is doing. Just put sunlight on them. They want to be brazen about this? Then guess what? Sunlight is the best disinfectant. They, they, they were on defense when we illustrated how they tampered with results pertaining to the 2022 election. We put them on defense. we got to keep on doing that. So the MRC getting censored by Google, that's just that's just one example. We're going to continue to hold them accountable for this because it's going to get worse, especially with AI, you know, this new explosion of AI on the horizon. It's getting dangerous. Well, with AI changing the game, do you envision any kind of a regulatory or government role in this? Should there be some sort of commission that, that polices for this kind of behavior by big tech companies and by their AIs? Is that even possible? Oh, I mean, the U.S. government is not even the only one trying to regulate this new technology. Communist China released its own version of regulation saying that um, AI has to reflect, quote, socialist values. I mean, this is this is this is unprecedented power. And what happens with what happens with government? James Madison said it perfectly himself in the Federalist Papers, that power is of an encroaching nature. What happens? You get a little you get a little taste of it. You're going to want more. And this is a whole new playing ground of political power that can be wielded against political opponents. They're not going to hesitate to use it. And, and I think it's in a weird way, it's it's getting worse as we move away from traditionally biased or slanted media into the Internet world, because this is more subtle than Dan Rather trying to sell you on a phony memo. It's really hard to fight back against an AI that has a political bias. But I wish you the best of luck in doing it. Joseph Vasquez, assistant editor of the Media Research Center's Free Speech America and NRC Business. Thank you very much for joining us. I'm John Hayward, your guest host, sitting in for Alan today. Thanks very much for joining us on this hour of the Alan Nathan Show. The opinions you hear on the Main Street Radio Network are those of the host, callers, and guests, and not necessarily those of the station, Main Street Radio Network, its management, or advertisers. The information on the Main Street Radio Network does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or securities. So please, consult a professional before investing. If you have any questions or comments about Main Street Radio Network, contact us at 703-719-0433 or at our website, MainStreetRadioNetwork.com.